stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm going solo again to talk about buy and hold investing. I've been getting asked this question on Twitter, so I felt like I needed to cover it here on the podcast. So the question basically is, can't you just buy and never sell? Wouldn't that make some sense, right? Wouldn't you be fine just buying a bunch of blue chips and then doing nothing for 10 or 20 years, just even based on history, right? So I think there are two different strategies here for long-term investors who want to buy and hold and like deploy this buy and never sell type of strategies, but there's two different ways to do it. So the first is buying the indexes. This is basically passive investing, right? Since few can actually beat the indexes, why not just own the indexes? There are ETFs that allow you to buy the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, the smaller, the mid caps, you can buy the basic ones with the lowest expense ratios nowadays, and then you do nothing, right? You're just going to buy the S&P 500 and get the S&P 500 returns. So I looked at the 20-year returns for these major indexes. Uh, that would be 2002 through 2022. So keep in mind, when you start the clock does matter to some extent, right? So a lot of people, you know, a couple of years ago, were starting the clock from 2000, and that was at the peak of the dot-com bubble, and then the market sold off for three years straight. So it took a lot of the return off of, uh, you know, your initial investment because you had three down years right after you bought. But 20, or 2002 is after two of the down years were already done. So you only had one down year. It does really impact your 20-year returns because you're buying it, you know, after considerable markdown, essentially, when stocks were more on sale. So the Dow in that 20-year time period is up 312%. The small caps, I looked at the IWM, uh, the Russell 2000 ETF, that's up 400% in that 20-year time period. Um, the NASDAQ, the best performer, up 888%. And then the S&P 500, up 380%. So all of these are pretty good returns over the 20 years, right? Um, you would have had like a mixture of those, especially in like your 401k or whatnot. And we all know from looking at our 401k balances that it has been a pretty good 20 years, even with the financial crisis sell-off in there and the pandemic sell-off in there. So even with that, you know, these returns are still real solid. But I decided to look at the 10-year returns. So that is 2012 through 2022. And that's after the financial crisis. So things should be looking pretty good there too, but it did include the pandemic and now the 2022 pullback as well. So the Dow is up 132%, the Russell 2000 up 114%, the S&P 500 a little bit better up 172%, and then nobody should really be surprised that the Nasdaq is the winner again up 271%, but 
before 2022 sell-off, it was up about 400%. So 2022 really hitting the NASDAQ harder than some of the others, but still over 10 years uh, of almost three times there, threefold up 271%, as I said. So nobody's uh, saying anything negative about having these kind of nice returns. This is what is expected. You know, historically in the last 10 years have been even better than historic on the S&P 500. So, um, you know, up double digits over that time period. So that's been um, a very good return for the long-term buy and holders. But the second strategy is buying the individual blue chip stocks themselves. So this seems easy, right? Because we all seemingly quote unquote know what the winners are. I mean, it seems obvious when you're looking backwards, right? Oh, I would have picked all of these. Um, You know, I would have picked Amazon and Google over the last 10 years and I would be on easy street, right? But some of you might have picked some of these other stocks, these other big cap blue chippers. You might have picked General Electric in 2012. That stock has gone nowhere and is actually down 59% over the 10 years. Bank of America. So this was 2012 after Warren Buffett was getting in there. You might have followed him into that trade. That one's done fairly well, up 273% over the last 10 years. Another one you might have followed Warren Buffett in, IBM, but he got out. (laughs) He went in and then he got out. Those shares are down 36% over the last 10 years. And then maybe you got into big pharma because that has always been kind of a buy and hold type of stock that people have done for decades. And Pfizer, though, over the last 10 years, up just 96%. So still under the small caps and S&P 500, remember, up 172%. So not even close to what the S&P 500 had done. Now, none of these include the dividends, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that a little later, but dividends can make a difference in some of the returns here, um, can help it, and the major indexes don't include the dividends either, and that can help those too. So uh, this is without the dividends. Over the last 20 years, it hasn't looked much better for some of these stocks I just mentioned. So GE's down 62% in the 20-year time period. Bank of America, because it now includes the financial crisis years, it's up just 3.3%. IBM looks a little bit better here over the 20-year period, but still not that great, up 128%. Remember, S&P 500's up 380 in that 20-year time period. So still big underperformance from IBM. And then Pfizer just really lagging over 20-year time period. Pfizer up just 67% in there. And again, the S&P, just the basic S&P up 380. And even if you bought the Dow up 312%. And Pfizer and many of the other um, just big cap drug companies that, again, many of us think are just the sure thing blue chippers, just basically been done hardly anything over the last 20 years. Uh, But they were big winners the 10 years prior to that in the 1990s, which could explain their underperformance, right? 
Um, I looked at a couple of growth stocks. Maybe you had done those over the 20 year time period. So I took a look at Microsoft. This is coming off of 2002. So those shares had been on the decline the prior two years. So you weren't buying it at such a bad place in 2002, but the stock really didn't do much for the next 10 years, but it has over the last prior 10 years. So overall, Microsoft over the 20 years is now up 1,067%. That sounds real good, right? If you had stuck it out in Microsoft and decided to buy in 2002. Uh, Again, this does not include the dividends. Um, Starbucks, however, if you'd bought that in 2002, up 1,510%. So easily surpassing Microsoft and even old standbys like McDonald's, that was up 1,350%. Um, McDonald's MCD is the ticker, looking pretty good, even though it's been around since the 1970s. And, you know, it's even beating out Microsoft over that 10-year time period. So the second strategy is really much harder than the first. You know, I'm not going to lie. Um, You can't just buy and put it on autopilot because if you did, GE was a big winner in the 1990s. And then look what's happened. It's gone nowhere but down. Um, And so I did want to take a look at some of those types of stacks because, again, these were considered the sure things blue chippers, right? They had been outperforming and included in those again that I mentioned were the big drug companies. The 1990s, I've done podcasts on this, was not just the dot-com boom. It was also the drug company boom years. And many of them were up a thousand percent or more in just that 10 year time period. So they basically, you know, had their run and then went into what is looking like now a 20 year bear market. So Bristol Myers, BMY is the ticker up 189% in the last 20 years. Merck, ticker MRK, up just 99%. Johnson and Johnson up 206%. These are all underperforming the S&P 500, remember? That was up 380%. So, you know, not a good time to be in any of these, even with their dividends. Um, AbbVie, one of the few rare ones that uh, did outperform ABBV is a ticker, A as in Adam, B as in boy, B as in boy, V as in Victor. I own it in my own personal portfolio now. I have not owned it for 20 years, but it's up 591% in that 20-year time period. And then I took a look outside of the drugs, but still stayed in healthcare. The health insurers really was where it was at. Once we got the um, ACA in, uh, you know, 14 or when was it, 2010, so 12 years ago, um, these stocks have soared. So I took a look at United Health Group, one of just the big guys in the in the industry. UNH is the ticker, up 2,313%. And remember, that's 20-year time period, so well before the ACA. Um, and remember, Microsoft during that time period up 1,067% versus UNH up 2,313%. So um, that's interesting. Also, I took a look at a few of the banks that the 20-year time period would have included, obviously, the Great 
recession and the financial crisis. So JP Morgan still up 496%. So it's come back in a big way and outperforming the S&P 500. But some of the regionals, PNC, uh, ticker PNC, just up 268%. And then I took a look at Comerica, CMA, up just 66% in 20 years. So the banks, as we know, um, real losers kind of over the last 20 years because of the financial crisis and just people staying out of that sector over the last 10 years. The dividends were on hold, on pause by the Fed for years after the great recession. And they finally did come back, but a lot of investors still leery to get into this group and have been focusing more, as we know, on the Fangman stocks over the last 10 years. So again, these numbers do not include the dividends, which does give you a boost. And um, for those of you who think you can just buy the 10 or 20 big caps and let them ride for the 20 years, I hope this is showing you can't really do that because uh, – you know, you have to really stay on top of what's going on with your companies. You have to listen to the conference calls. You have to know what is happening with their earnings, with their growth trajectory, with leadership. You know, are people losing CEOs or CFOs? Who is leading the company? Look at the five-year earnings on Zacks. This will give you some idea of what's going on with the earnings and what the company is doing as a business, that's the price and consensus chart. You can find it when you put in a stock ticker and you go to the quote page for that ticker. On the left-hand side, there's a charts area and you can see the price and consensus chart there. You can click on it and it'll show you what the analysts believe the earnings estimates are going to look like for the next for this year and next year and what they were over the last uh, three years. So you get five years worth of data in there. Is it going in the right direction? And that should be up, right? You want to grow the earnings. You don't want to own companies that the earnings are on the decline. So I took a look at a few of the, the stocks that I just mentioned. GE now, after this 20 years of underperformance, they've spun off some of their divisions. They have new leadership. All of that's gone on. So earnings declined in 2020. They're trying to get back, but uh, here in 2022, still expected to be under 2019, so the pre-pandemic levels, but it is going in the right direction with GE. IBM doesn't look the same. Looks like it's still going in the wrong direction now and it's still way below 2019 levels. Uh, McDonald's, I took a look at that one. Um and they're well above 2019 already. Earnings expected to grow 5.9% in 2022 and 7% in 2023. But they have a PE of about 26 now because this is not really big growth, even though McDonald's is a more mature company. So 7% isn't bad for a more mature type of company. It's been around for decades, but I don't really want to pay a growth style PE, which is what 26 times is for a 7% earnings growth. I would expect to maybe be double digits, you know, 10% for a 26 time uh, multiple there. So, but I'm the value investor. So <laughs> um, I expect to get some value for my earnings growth, but these are things that you have to look at if you're the long-term investor and you are just saying you're going to buy and hold 
because the story does change. And maybe some of the stocks you bought that were cheap 10 or 15 years ago, maybe are not now. And that could impact the returns going forward. Also, it's not just about the big caps over the long periods. It's easy to single those out because they're on all these charts of, you know, the best performers of the last 20 years. And it's companies we've all know and have heard of, and maybe some of us have owned them. But the small caps have outperformed the S&P and the Dow for the last 20 years. And even though they maybe have struggled recently because the banks have struggled that that pattern could return. And so you should uh, maybe have some exposure to the small caps as well. But should you try and find some individual small caps, that's a lot harder and riskier, as you all know. That would be like finding the next Lululemon or the next Chipotle. How do you know in the early years that that company is going to have the good management, that that product or, uh, you know, brand is going to capture the imagination and stick around even through recessions. Are you willing to take a chance? So with the small caps, you got to do even more research, use the Zacks rank to try to find companies with rising earnings estimates, uh, maybe something, you know, it's showing something at least on the short term good about what's going on with the company there. You're going to have to listen in on conference calls. There's not as many analysts covering those small caps and um, not as many pay the dividends either. But this is why many people will just buy the indexes for the small caps. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're still going to get the exposure, right? Also, a lot of the focus for the last 10 years has been on the tech or even just the growthy names. But tech isn't always the leaders. As I mentioned earlier, look at UNH, one of the big winners over the last even 20 years and beyond um, in the top 10 over the last 30 years because it's a powerhouse and there's more than just Amazons and Microsofts out there uh, growing their earnings and their sales. So what has worked in the last 20 years may not work in the next 20. Look at the drug stocks. Those worked in the 1990s. People became millionaires off of owning some of the big pharma companies in the 1990s. And they thought that could never end, but they've massively underperformed over the last 20 years as a result. So always revisit your companies the business and the leadership, because that might have changed even over 10 years or 20 years. I've even sold some of my companies after owning them for a decade or more because I felt like the business had changed. So remember, you own that business and um, you do not want to get caught in a business that you didn't originally want to buy. So even Warren Buffett said that when he sold IBM, he said basically, it wasn't doing what he thought it was going to do. And that is the business not performing the way or in the uh, manner he originally bought it for. So that's when you have to get out. So if you don't like what a company is doing or you think it's dumb that they're rolling out some kind of new brand or they've started a new product that you think is going to fail <laughs> or any of these things, you have to ask yourself, why are you owning it? There's plenty of stocks out there to own where you're not upset about your company doing certain things. Um, also, returning back to dividends, 
do not underestimate the power of dividends. I feel like, um, you know, Yoda saying that, do not underestimate the power of the dividend when compounding, because over the last, you know, 80 years or so, or let's see, 60 years, um, dividends have been as much as 80% of the total return of the S&P 500. And that's from 1960 to 2021. So however many years, that is 61 years. Um, And that is because those dividends compound too. And what do I mean by compound? It's like dollar cost averaging when you get that dividend, if you're reinvesting it, that is. So if you got a dividend of a dollar a share in 1960, you went on and you bought some more shares with it. And maybe you had a very small position in whatever stock it was, and you literally ended up buying half of a share in 1960. Well, that half a share now gets part of the dividend going forward the next year, right? It's suddenly you have, you know, 101 or 100 and a half shares or something, or let's say you get a full share for that year. You're getting 101 shares. So suddenly your dividend is paying out a dollar, you know, and two cents or something. And that might seem like, eh, who cares? You're getting two cents more. Um, but these little things add up over time. And for any of you who have owned some dividend payers for any length of time, even five years or better yet, 10 years is really where you start to see the dividend compounding. Suddenly you're getting three or four, five extra shares a year off of your holdings because that dividend uh, is buying more shares for you as you reinvest it. And that just keeps compounding over all those years. And now you're getting even a bigger dividend every year and it's buying more and more shares. So that also is compounding and um, it can do amazing things because it's like you're adding your dollar cost averaging into your position every year. Even if it's just these small amounts, you are still doing it and the power of time is really on your side. Again, you're not really going to notice it if you only have a position for, you know, a couple of years. Um, You may not even notice after five years, depending on what that stock is doing. But I trust me, after 10 years of owning a dividend stock, you will start to really notice on your statements when you see what the dividend is, when you go and you check like, oh, I didn't realize I had that many shares of whatever company it is. But it really starts to just add up in the account. And looking at some of these drug stocks, going back to those, they have underperformed over the last 20 years massively. But some of them are now paying the juicier dividend yields again. So Pfizer, for instance, is at 3.5%. That is a powerful dividend yield because um, even if you're only going to get the, you know, three or 4% appreciation, you're getting three and a half on the yield. And that goes a long way when that's compounded over the years. So um, I'm kind of looking around at some of the dividend holders Now, some of these bigger dividend payers, I'm not saying you should be in all dividend paying stocks because Amazon, for instance, has never paid a dividend, but it certainly is helpful in bear market periods to get something else for your uh, patients on holding that stock. 
And um, again, if you are a long-term investor, it can compound over those rough periods of time. So should you buy and hold and never sell? Again, it depends on your strategy. If it's individual stocks, the answer really is yes, you can do it, but you need to do your homework and you need to stay on top of everything. And if you don't want to do that, if that sounds too time consuming and terrible and no, I don't have time to listen in on conference calls or even look and see what's happening with the dividend, then the indexes are your friend and there's nothing wrong with just putting it into stock indexes. As all of you know, I'm a big believer in stock investing. And so I like the indexes. It is easy. There's a lot of people who come out against this so-called passive investing where you're just buying the S&P 500 ETF and you're letting it sit in there for years and years. But um, again, look at the 20-year time horizon and S&P 500 up 380%. Those small cap Russell 2000 ETF, the IWM up 400%. And then if you did make a bet on the growth stocks um, coming out of the house, uh, the the dot-com bust, because this is 2002, you were up 888% in there. And none of that is too shabby for an investor. So keep these things in mind. Yes, you can buy and hold forever, but you need to stay on top of things because if you're owning the individual companies, you do own the businesses. And um, so you got to know what's going on at the business. Okay, let's uh, recap some of the stocks I talked about. So there was GE. Uh, I'm still not a big fan of it and I'm not in it. So GE, ticker GE. IBM, not a big fan of that one either, ticker IBM. Pfizer, ticker PFE. I do like a lot of these drug companies. I only own AbbVie in my own personal portfolio, and I own an Inzac's value investor. ABBV is that ticker. Um, Pfizer PFE, as I said. Bristol-Myers BMY is the ticker. B is in boy, M is in Mary, Y. Uh, Merck MRK. Johnson & Johnson is JNJ. And we talked about United Health. Uh, I still actually do like the health insurers, even though they've been on this tremendous run. I don't own any, but I have owned them off and on in the value investor here at Saks. Uh, that ticker is UNH. And then we talked about McDonald's. MCD is the ticker there. Um, I mentioned Starbucks. I do own that in my own personal portfolio. Unfortunately, I've not owned it the 20 years to get the 1,500%, but... Um, it's been an interesting stock the last several years, ticker SBUX. That's one where you have to watch because they now have new management again, right? They just named a new CEO at Starbucks. And then Microsoft, I've owned it off and on. I did buy some in 2002. I did not hold on for the next 20 years to get 1,067%, but I bought again a couple of years ago. And so Microsoft, ticker M. S-F-T. And as always, you want to be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode um, because who knows what we're going to talk about. Could be anything, could be off of what you're asking me on Twitter as this episode was, but I'm trying to bring you some, um, you know, stock picks and what's going on out there in the stock market. Still 
difficult investing conditions, but could be an interesting second half of the year here as we're moving into the fall now. So be sure to subscribe, get us on Apple Podcasts, get us on SoundCloud, get us on Spotify. We're also on Amazon Music and all the large platforms, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.